Disciple Flip series. Uh, for those of you who haven't met me yet, I'm Dan. Uh, it's great that we can all be here together. Um, <clears throat> this is a series all about how God just, uh, Jesus, his teaching, following him is flipped right side up from everything else and how following anything else is actually upside down. Uh, and so when we look at Jesus' teachings, when we're standing upside down, they look upside down, but it's because we're, we're upside down, not him. Um, one of the books I read over my sabbatical um, was called The Insanity of God. It's by a missionary named Nick Ripkin. And uh, Nick tells this story, many stories of, of all the places that he visited, persecuted Christians. Today is the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. Um, he talks about how he visited all these persecuted Christians, trying to find out the answer to the question of, like, can faith in Jesus really survive in the darkest places? You know, the God, God, can he really work in these just insane places? And so one of the places he visited was China. Um, and one of the questions he asked the church leaders there, he said, so, like, how is it, like, why does the government persecute you so hard? Why does the government hate Christianity? Because, you know, Christians, we're good citizens, we work hard, we love others. Like, you know, what gives? So why would this totalitarian oppressor be threatened by these oppressed minority religious group? And uh, they he says they offered this scenario in response. He says, the security uh, their scenario, excuse me, the security police regularly, regularly harass a believer who owns a property where a house church meets. The police say, you got to stop these meetings. If you do not stop these meetings, we'll confiscate your house and we'll throw you out into the street. Well, then the property owner will probably respond, well, do you want my house? Do you want my farm? Well, if you do, then you need to talk to Jesus because I gave this property to him. The security police will not know what to make of that answer. So they'll say, well, we don't have any way to get to Jesus, but we can certainly get to you. When we take your property, you and your family will have nowhere to live. And the house church believers will declare, well, then we'll be free to trust God for shelter as well as for our daily bread. If you keep this up, we'll beat you, the persecutors will tell them. Then we will be free to trust Jesus for healing, the believers will respond. Well, then we'll put you in prison, the police will threaten. And by now, the believer's response is almost predictable. Well, then we'll be free to preach the good news of Jesus to the captives, to set them free. We'll be free to plant churches in prison. If you try to do that, we will kill you, the frustrated authorities will vow. And with utter consistency, the house church believers will reply, then we'll be free to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. Do you see the incredible power that faith in Jesus can give you. If Jesus' teaching is what you're ready to follow, and if you have him, you have something unshakable. Nothing can touch this kind of foundation. So, so in this series, that's where we come to today, is the, the core question of like, am I really ready to say Jesus is my everything? Am I, am I all in for Jesus? That's kind of our core question today. Uh, where we've been so far, we've seen that he can give us strength to face any kind of circumstances. We've seen that he calls us to love in radical ways that don't make sense to the, to the world's ways of defining love. And that he calls us when we're thinking about ways that we don't measure up to, to his teaching, that we look first and foremost at ourselves. We're not going, hey, all of you all are all messed up. We're going, hey, man, what can I do to embody this life that Jesus teaches more fully? And how can I clear out my vision so that I can see well? And yes, I can help others along that path too, but primarily my focus is is I've got to deal with my own junk. Uh, that's where we've been so far. What I think would be incredible if we could embody this ethic as a people, as, as North Platte Berean Church, just think about all the ways that the world, like th these cycles of like 
you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. You did this to me, so I'm going to do this to you. Right? Like these cycles of like revenge and payback and I'm going to get you. And like it just like when does it ever stop? But what if we were the people who made it stop? What if we just said, hey, we're going to be radically forgiving people in our workplaces, in our homes, at school. I'm not going to hold that thing against you. I'm not going to hold it over your head. I'm not going to try and fight to make you pay back. Like we're just generous, loving, forgiving people. What if we could help people to build a foundation like that foundation we heard about those Chinese believers have where they could have the foundation of Christ too. They could say, hey, yeah, nothing can touch my joy because my joy is kept safe for me with God in heaven and it's mine. I own it right now. I have everything I need in Christ. Man, that could be powerful. So that's what I want to challenge us to today is to ask the question, what am I building on? What, what am I building on? What is my foundation? What am I using to say, this is, this is how I know I have life. This is the thing I have to have. And when anything can, can threaten any other stuff that I have, but nothing can threaten this firm foundation that I'm building on. That's what Jesus is going to invite us into, uh, is to have him as our firm foundation. So uh, we're looking at uh, continuing in Luke 6. Uh, I'll invite you to go ahead and open with me there. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Plain where he's teaching just these kind of radical ideas about overcoming evil with good. Um, and just like the, the Apostle Paul actually taught similarly in Romans 12, 13, you can read about him and how he applies this kind of teaching. Um, but we're looking at Jesus' specific words here in, in Luke 6, starting in verse 46. Um, what I'm going to do today is invite us to take a little bit different posture for honoring him as we read his word. Um, today he starts off the passage saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord? So I wanna invite us to embrace a posture that communicates him as Lord today as we read his word. Um, so I would, I would suggest maybe like bowing your head, your, maybe your hands are kinda out open, ready to receive, um, or, or if you wanna kneel, or whatever would, would kinda communicate that posture before him of like, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. So I'll pray for us. And then we can have this kind of prayerful Lord uh, posture as we uh, read the word. So, Lord, we're coming to you today uh, ready to, to once again be challenged by your word and be reshaped in the way that we think. Uh, we don't want to be conformed to what the world says and, and, and how it operates. We want to be transformed by having our minds renewed. And so we're praying that by your spirit and by your word you will do that that you will shape us to be a, a different kind of community that just oozes with your goodness and life and joy and hope and that all the people around us are touched by your goodness as you live it through us. So we're asking that you'll help us to set you firmly as our foundation, to, to put that stake in the ground today and say, I am for Jesus. I'm all in. Um, and that as we do, then that you would produce that life in us that would be such a blessing to us and to others um, and to our community and to ultimately to your world. So please help uh, do this by your spirit and by your word, uh, even here as we read it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's bow here and read. Jesus says in Luke 6, 46 to 49, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But 
the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. This is God's word. Oh, man. Okay. Jesus with the word pictures. <laughs> this is an intense one. Um, so uh, in this passage here, uh, we'll start off looking at verse 46 today. And I want to encourage us to think of uh, what he says in verse 46 under kind of two words, two headings. So if you'd write down these two words, write down the word Lord and write down the word no. And what I'd love for you to do is picture writing these like on two sides of a note card, right? Uh, like it's like I write Lord on this side and I write no on this side. And the reason you might visualize it that way is because actually only one of these can ever be true at one time. I'm either saying to Jesus, you're my Lord, or I'm saying to Jesus, no. That's all there is. There's just two options. And you don't get to pick both. We, we don't get to pick both. Um, this, this is where Jesus is going to bring his whole sermon, this, the, this whole sermon on the plane, bring it all together into this call to say, okay, here's my teaching. You've heard it now from verse 20 down through verse uh, 45 so far. You've heard my teaching. Now, are you going to come to me as Lord? Are you going to say, yep, you got it. You, what you say goes, right? You say jump, I say how high. Or are you going to say, no. No, Jesus, that's, that, that's too much. I, I, I can't do that. So notice these people in verse 46. He says these, these, these people that he's talking about, he says, are calling him Lord, Lord. So these are people who are saying they want him to be their Lord. In fact, they're repeating it for like emphasis, like a way of saying like, hey, I'm really lifting you up. So he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then not do what I tell you? He's highlighting the fact that these people are, are producing a, a fake fruit. We talked about last week how our words are like a fruit that grows out of our heart. It tells what's in our heart. He says, but you're, you're, you're kind of like attaching this fruit to your tree that is saying, Lord, Lord, but it's not down in your heart. And he says, I can tell it's not in your heart because you don't do what I tell you. So it, it's not enough to have mere lip service. The fruit that grows out of our hearts has to actually demonstrate, Jesus, I say yes to you. Right? It's Lord. Lord or no, those are our only options. So let's spend some time here. Let's, let's think about some ways that we say uh, no. What, what are some of the no's that we say? Because like, obviously, especially if we're in church on a Sunday, like morning or evening if you're watching this uh, later or, or wherever you all are around the world watching this right now. Um, but a, a, as we engage this and we say, okay, I, well, I want to say yes to Jesus. Obviously, I'm not saying no, right? But so like, but what are some of the ways we say no? Think about it. Like, Here's one. This is a, a common one um, that I've seen in, in my life. Um, we say no to Jesus when we say, you know, that doesn't really make sense to me, and I'll obey once I understand. When we do that, you see who we're saying is really Lord. It's my own thinking is Lord. Once my own thinking decides it's a good idea, then I'm ready to obey. See, that's not Jesus is Lord. That's actually no. No. Because I don't understand it. And if I don't understand it, if I can't see how it could work out, if I can't get all the details sorted out first and agree with you that it's a good idea, then no. Or here's another one. Um, not now. I'll, I'll start tomorrow. You know, I'm awfully busy. I've got a lot on my plate right now. Um, so I'll obey you. Yes, Jesus, I want to call you my Lord. But, you know, soon. <laughs> what are we really saying? We're saying no. 
See, not now is the same. To, to say, Jesus, you, can't, you can be my Lord later is the same as saying, Jesus, no, you're not my Lord. I, I've got my own agenda. I've got my own things that I want to take care of first. <coughs> Excuse me. Another way that we say no to Jesus is we say, I'll obey you if. We love that word, if, right? Like, if you'll answer my prayers, well, then I'll obey you. If it makes me happy, right? Like, I can tell that's going to be a, a fun thing for me. If you'll protect my family, right? We, we put these ifs out before him. That's really just a way of saying no. No, because I'll only obey you if you do this thing for me first. That's still me in charge. I'm still bossing God around, telling him how he has to serve me and serve my idols that I've put in place of him and said, I have to have this thing more than I have to have you. That's a no. That's a, it's, it's a fancy no, <laughs> but we're still telling him no. Or maybe one more. Um, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus said that God, the, the Father, is kind to the ungrateful and evil. What about that being ungrateful? That's a way that we tell him, no, you're not my Lord. We just don't thank him. We don't recognize him as our Lord and say, man, God, you provided everything for me. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you for protecting me through the night while I slept. Thank you that my food didn't spoil and that I have a fridge and that my electricity is still working and that my eyes are still seeing and my ears are still hearing. And like, thank you, thank you, thank you. But when we're ungrateful, we're saying, nah. Say, I did this all myself, you know. I paid my electric bill. I worked my job. I bought my refrigerator. You know, I did all this myself. I didn't need him. See, we're ungrateful. Then he's not Lord. So those are some examples of ways maybe that we say no. I hope you can find yourself in at least one of those and say, okay, this is a way that I'm at risk of saying no to Jesus. And let's look then instead, what are the other options? What would it look like maybe to say Lord? So to say Lord, let's just a brief review of, of some of the things that we looked at um, previously in this series. Um, for instance, uh, in week one, we looked at uh, one way to, to call him Lord is to kill off any other competition, right? We, know, we talked about some, some idols that are easy to kind of run after. One was wealth or control. One was comfort. One was fun or success. One was approval. If any of these things are more important to me than him, I kill those things off. That's a way of saying, hey, you're my Lord. In any other thing that's trying to take your place, no, that, that thing is not my source of satisfaction. That thing is not the number one thing in my life. You don't have to give me that in order for me to decide if I'll follow you maybe later. It's just, no, that, that thing is aside. I'm, I'm, I'm taking those idols, I'm putting them aside. I'm saying, Jesus, you provide me with whatever you want to provide me with, and I'll walk with you. That's making him our Lord, is to kill off those idols. Okay? Um, or from week two. Uh, a couple of things that we talked about in week two. What would it look like to make him our Lord? Well, he, he commanded what we call the golden rule. As you wish others would do to you, do so to them, right? That would be a way to make him my Lord. It's to stop and think. Every time I'm interacting with somebody, I stop and think, okay, if I was that person, what would I want done for me? If I was doing that right now, if the roles were reversed, if I was the one doing that, having that problem, being that frustration, um, struggling with that thing, whatever that you know, hard place that other person is in. And I'm saying, okay, if I was in that spot, what would I want somebody to do for me? And then I do that for them. It's reversing these roles. So that would be a way to make Jesus Lord, is to say, hey, I'm gonna put others first before myself. I'm gonna do to others as I wish they would do to me. One way I described this is you could ask the question, what do I have and how can I use that to bless others? 
What do I have and how can I use that to bless others? That's making Jesus my Lord because it's not all about me. It's not all about what I have to have. It's just Jesus. I've got to have you and I do by faith. And that's everything. Um, and then maybe one more example. Uh, one more way we could call him Lord is uh, he talked about, he said, be merciful as your father is merciful. So this idea of merciful, it was a word that meant like a compassion. It's what a parent feels towards a child, uh, um, especially like if that child is hurting. It, it's mercy. It, it's my heart is drawn towards you. So Jesus challenged us to look at our enemies in this way, to look at those who, who are ungrateful in this way, to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to look at them as if they're trapped, they're ensnared in this sin, in this evil. And, and I'm, I'm gonna, that, that moves my heart to compassion towards them. Instead of being angry with them and frustrated with them, and man, why would you do that? And I can't believe you, we're, we're killing off that whole thing. We're not doing all the judgmentalism stuff. We're just looking and saying, people are being trapped by the enemy, by Satan, by sin, by self, by society. People are being trapped. And we want to see captives set free. How can I do good to this person? My, my, my heart sees them and says, they're, they're, they're not just like, oh, that's a horrible, awful person. They could never come to Jesus. No, instead I'm looking at them and saying, how can I help point them to the forgiveness that's found only in Christ? How can I help them see God's goodness by the way that I treat them, by what I say to them, by the tone I use? What can I do to in some way point them towards him? What, what's the thing that I can do to be merciful, to let my heart go out to them and say, man, I remember when I was a slave to sin. I, I know I didn't want somebody just beating up on me. I needed help. Here's how I could help them. So those would be some examples of what it would look like to call Jesus Lord. So I can call him Lord, or I can say to him, no. Those are the options. And again, we said this is, Jesus specifically digs in. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So, so this is specifically talking about our actions now. Last week we were talking really heavily about our words. Our words are a great way to judge what's in our heart for ourselves. Or we judge ourselves first, not other people first. Um, our, as we listen to the words coming out of our mouth on a regular basis, we can say, hmm, what does this reveal about what's in my heart? Right? Those are great for us for self-examination. But ultimately what God looks at is he says, hey, did you live out an actual life that was built on me as your Lord? That's the question. It's, it's a challenging question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you. Our, our actions have to match our words. This isn't about trying to, to muster up some kind of fake fruit. This is genuinely, like out of my heart, I love Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. So that's our first choice here is Lord or no. All right, second thing then. Uh, let's see if we can, uh, I'm going to think of this kind of like a sales pitch now, okay? <laughs> so Lord or no. The no's seemed like they kind of made a lot of sense. Like, I am busy. And Jesus is asking a lot, right? And it's like, okay, those ones kind of add up. And then the Lord ones, those sound kind of upside down and crazy, right? Like, who's doing that? And so what Jesus does is he gives a visual that kind of, that, that it offers us why, like the question why. Why would I do this? Why would I make Jesus my Lord? Is it, maybe another way to ask it, is it really worth it to have Jesus as my Lord? So he's going to give an illustration that explains, he shows two different kinds of people, two different kinds of builders building their life. What are they going to build their lives on? And where does that building your life in that way lead? So here's the first one. Uh, the, the first one is built unshakable. This is in verses 47 and 48. So if you look down at 47 and 48, uh, you see here that Jesus says, if you, the one who comes to him and hears his words and does them. That's how he starts. That comes to him uh, was the same thing that we had, remember, back from week one. 
back in week one in verses 17 and 18, it was talking about this huge crowd that Jesus uh, was teaching to. He said they came to hear him and be healed. Remember we said they, they, they came to him with need, right? They, they came saying, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need what only you can give. And so, so it's the same kind of language here. Who, who comes to me and hears my words and does them. They came to hear him. Jesus says, there, there are certain kinds of people in this crowd who have come to me and are hearing my words. But then look at what the, the, the last word in that is critical. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, that's the same as what we had here. They came to hear him and be healed. Um, comes to me and hears my words. But then he says, and does them. That's the difference between these two people. This, if you want to be built unshakable, he says, it's got to involve doing. That's the difference between the two. Everybody can come and hear him. It doesn't, it doesn't um, finish the, the work to just hear what he says. It's, it's not, I came to him and I heard what he said, and so now I'm good. Um, whether that's like I came and I read my Bible, or I came and I listened to a sermon, or in, in whatever way you're coming and saying, okay, I, I came, I heard. He says, that's not where it stops. Not if you want to have an unshakable life. It's come to me and hear my words and do them. Right? And, and we talked about, the way we talked about this in the first week was we said it's like, you think about it like God is your treasure, right? Like you say, man, God, who do I have in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My, my flesh, like my physical body, my heart, like my, my inner person may fail. Like I, I might be brutally falling apart inside and out, but God is the rock of my heart and my portion forever. And that's what he says here. He says, everyone who comes to me, hears my words and does them, is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Is God what I'm building my life on? That's the challenge. So if you want to be built unshakable, it, it's, it's building your foundation on God himself. God, it call, it's calling Jesus Lord. If Jesus is my Lord, which means I'm going to do what he says, then that's going to give me this foundation. And look at the benefits. Look at the perks. Here's what he's selling, okay? Um, he says, and when a flood arose... When things got hard, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it. It was well built. That's what's on offer. If you'll call Jesus Lord, you can have this unshakable life. That's what he was encouraging his, his hearers to do. To say, hey, listen, hear my words and actually do them and your life will be unshakable. And, and really, this does apply in, in, um, like in the here and now. But really, the, the imagery of flood is, is in, the, in the biblical narrative, floods are a picture of judgment. What this is ultimately pointing to is the final judgment. At the final judgment, we all stand before God, and he looks at us, and he evaluates us as either belonging to him or not. Those are the choices. Did you accept me, or did you reject me? Am I Lord, or no? Those are the only two options. And he says, if you've chosen Lord, you will stand in the final judgment. The judgment will not shake you. You can stand before God himself with the righteousness of Christ. See, that's worth giving up everything for. And what Jesus says, though, is that he says that there's a, there's a key link that he doesn't want us to miss. He, he says that we can call him Lord, but the only ones who actually have him as Lord are those who obey him. Because that's what Lord means. It means you call the shots. And so he really doubles down on we've, we, we've got to see. And, and just to be clear... <laughs> In the context here, we're talking, remember, about fruit. Fruit is not what causes the tree to be a certain kind of tree, right? Like when you see, oh, there's an apple on that tree. That doesn't 
uh, make the tree into an apple tree. It's not like it was an orange tree, and then all of a sudden you put an apple on there, and then boom, it's an apple tree, right? The fruit, though, is what's produced from the kind of tree it is. So if you're the kind of tree that calls Jesus Lord, he says, inevitably, there's going to be action that follows. So he's talking about the fruit of our faith. If you have faith in him, that's the issue. To face the final judgment successfully is to have faith in Christ. But what that faith looks like, it works itself out in actions. So crucial, crucial to know. We've got to be um, trusting him in order to be built unshakable. Okay, but then second, here's the second kind of house. There's another kind of house that's built for ruin. This one here is also, just like the first one, uh, this is in verse um, 49, this person hears, but he does not do them. So he likes the idea, maybe, of calling Jesus Lord. But when it comes down to it, I trust myself more than I trust him. You know, Jesus, that whole idea of forgiving this person, I just don't know if I can do that. So I'm going to trust myself. See, that's, that's, you, you see how this is the outworking of faith? If I believe Jesus, that God has forgiven me, and that forgiving others is a way to picture God, and he says, forgive then what am I going to do? I trust him, so I forgive. See, the trust just automatically produces the forgiveness. But if I'm struggling to forgive, the core issue is in my heart is that I don't trust him. I don't believe that he's maybe, that he's just, that he'll actually make this right in the end. And so I think I need to make it right, like right now, because can I really trust that he's going to make all things right at the final judgment? But look, friends, look at verse 49. Look, look at the end. Look at what happens if we reject him, if we hold him at arm's length, if we say, Jesus, you don't get to be my Lord. He says, when the stream broke against that house in the final judgment, especially, although you also won't be able to weather the storms of this life, um, but, but when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. It's the Greek word mega. It's mega ruin. All the ruin. Every kind of ruin. You remember Jesus' heart attitude towards people facing this kind of ruin. He said, whoa. He said, it's dangerous. It's a tragedy. It's, it's utter ruin. Please don't run down this road. Any of those things that we talked about earlier, if, if there's any way in which you're holding out and kind of saying a little bit of a no to Jesus, let it go. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Not to face utter ruin. Um, remember, we talked about this in the first week, the way the Apostle Paul describes this utter ruin. He said they'll suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. It's like our undoing forever. We're being unmade for all eternity, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. By God's power, he holds everything together. He makes everything beautiful. He makes everything good. He, he's, he's built this whole universe around love. And to reject that is to lose everything good. It's to lose his very presence. Jesus said, um, we looked at this in the first week, several different pictures he gave. He said it's like outer darkness. Like it, it's scary out there. It's, it's evil out there. It's, it's you're, you're excluded. He said it's like weeping and gnashing of teeth, deep trauma and, and, and pain and agony. He says it's like the worm doesn't die, like you're just being eaten and decomposing forever. He says it's like a fire that's not quenched, just burning and burning and burning. That's what it's like to be apart from God, to suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. It's not worth it. Nothing is worth this. There's no reason to ever say no to Jesus. He knows best. That's his challenge. Will you trust me? Will you just believe that I know best? Because if I do, if, if I call him my Lord, then my house is unshakable. I, I can be built unshakable through faith in Christ. Friends, have you made that decision today? 
Have you said, Jesus, you say jump, I say how high? Have you said, Jesus, I'm all in for Team Jesus? Or are you still holding out reservations and saying, you know, we'll see if it works for me the way that I want it to? Because to hold out reservations is to say no. And it's to build our house for ruin. And then it's not just about us. Think about all the people in our lives who are headed for ruin. Everybody has one of two destinies. Either they reject God and they wind up apart from him forever. Or they accept God and all their sin is forgiven forever. See, we don't need to mete out judgment. We don't need to, to, to go, okay, I need to make sure this person pays for this, and I need to make sure they earn this, and they need to, like, we're free. This, this life of following Jesus is a life of liberty. I no longer have to play the world's game of, now, who deserves this, and who can scratch my back? You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Like, all those games are over. We're just free to love people, to forgive people, to pursue helping them know this loving and forgiving God. So with that, let me just pause here and ask us to spend some time reflecting on this series. Would you think back over this radical love that Jesus calls us to, this radical generosity, um, this, this radical identifying with those who are poor and hurting? You know, we talked about things like fasting or praying for persecuted Christians, like the, all these, these, um, these ideas of forgiveness, of, of loving my enemies, of doing good. Th- think back on all the things the Lord has shown you over these three weeks and, and here this morning. And just let's pause and ask the question, Lord, what would you have me do? Because he says calling him Lord is saying that he gets to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what he says. Lord, what would you have me do? And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show us right now, what would you have each one of us do? Is there somebody that we're not forgiving? Is there somebody we can show your kindness and generosity to? Is there somebody who can never pay us back that we can be a blessing to? What have you given us and how can we use it to be a blessing? Or maybe you're somebody who's been giving God lip service Maybe you want to recommit your life to really following Christ and say, no, he is my Lord. I'm not going to say no to him. I'm going to say Lord to him. Whatever that thing is, write that down. Disciple flip reflections. What's the thing you want to take away from this series of like, I really want to have Jesus be my Lord. So then what I'd like to do is I'd like to just wrap up giving us a few images of what this can look like practically to make Jesus our Lord. Um, Like, what does it look like to have a life that's built on him? Uh, I've got here several different biblical examples. I'd invite you if you want to take a picture of that um, or jot those down. These are some people in the Bible who built their lives on him. Uh, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they were out fishing. They caught this huge catch of fish, the, the, like, the, the catch to end all catches. <laughs> You'll never catch this many fish. And then Jesus called them to follow him, and they left it all behind and followed him. No worldly wealth was going to be more important to them than Jesus. Matthew, uh, Levi, did a similar thing. He was at his tax booth collecting taxes, and Jesus called him, and he said, I'll leave it all behind. His whole financial you know, future <laughs> He, he bailed on it for Jesus. 
Uh, we talked about Stephen a couple weeks ago. Stephen was uh, being stoned to death and in the middle of being stoned to death was saying, hey, Father, forgive these people. He just was dedicating his whole life to how can I help people find the same forgiveness that I've found. That was what his whole life was about. And because of uh, one, of the, one of the fruits we see of Stephen's uh, ministry was uh, we see the apostle Paul, who was there watching Stephen die, eventually meets Christ, is converted himself, and has this just incredible story of saying, but by the end of his life, he's saying, that it doesn't matter to me what happens to me. All I have to have is I've just got to follow Christ. I've just got to have it. So you could look at any of those biblical pictures and see kind of like, what does it look like practically to build my life on Christ? Um, and then because today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, I also wanted to offer uh, a video for you. Here's a video story of somebody. Watch the, how the, the life apart from Christ, watch how just brutal it is. Um, and especially if you have young ones, you might just be, it's, it's hard to watch. Um, just see how brutal life apart from Christ is. And, and then watch the change as this person comes to Christ. Watch how coming to Christ gives him a new foundation. And watch how even the people who rejected him, he's able to seek that they would see his baptism and that they would come and find life in Christ too. So let's watch uh, his story. Babu Sejun. I never chose to become a Buddhist monk. My parents chose it for me. They sent me far away to a monastery. And my father left me there. For the next nine years, I was trained to be a monk. Eight hours a day, seven days a week. All I did was memorize and recite. Memorize and recite. The words of the Buddhist text spoke of peace and tranquility. But my teachers lived something very different. I was 13 when I finally ran away from the monastery. You left the monastery, why? Shame! My father said I had shamed the family because I didn't finish my training. He enrolled me in first grade. He would begin my education all over again. Okay, so today we have a new student joining us. 
So everyone say hello to Sezun. Yo? Yo? And you take it only. One of my teachers talked to me with respect, showed me a kindness I never experienced in monastery. You can read this for me. Uh, the first John. Okay, great. God showed how much He loved us by sending His His one one day and one only. What is this? Huh? You're not supposed to read these types of books in the house. Where are you going? I don't know. I can go home. I have met a new family. And David and his wife have given me a place to stay. I'm reading more from the book David gave me. I have read about the light. It is the light I want. we've seen <clears throat> what it can look like and the value of building a life on Christ, the incredible strength it can give us to persevere through anything, through any kind of hardship. Um, Jesus actually told his followers uh, in John chapter 15, before he uh, was crucified, he said, if they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. This is just the reality of what it means to be a Christ follower, is that we will encounter rejection by other people. We will even, many of our brothers and sisters encounter even physical rejection and, and, and abuse and, and all kinds of just trauma. It, it, this is going on all over the world, just like Jesus said it would. But he is worth it. He's a foundation that's worth building on. He gives the endurance to face it now, and he gives us relationship with God forever. And so that's our challenge through this series, is will we really build our life on Christ? Will we be that kind of forgiving person, that good news person who just wants everybody to hear the goodness of Jesus? And anything I can do to show it to them or tell it to them, that's my goal in life. 
So um, one of the things that Jesus told us to do was he told us to remember his death. His, his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. So one simple way we can call him Lord is by celebrating communion together. And so I'm going to invite us here at, uh, this morning. If, if you are saying, I, Jesus, I've got to build my life on you. I'm, I'm turning from all my no, <laughs> and I'm saying yes to you. I'm saying Lord to you. Then, then let's, let's remember the command he gave us. I'll read to us. Here's, here's how he worded it. The apostle Paul describes it this way. He says, um, that uh, the, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You hear the command? Do this in remembrance of me. Like remember, remember what it costs Jesus to buy us into God's family because that's where we're gonna get the strength to live it out in our own lives, right? And, and then Paul goes on. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, Jesus didn't stay dead, friends. He's coming again. He, 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 he was crucified for us, but he was resurrected to new life. And he invites us by faith. Anybody who will take hold of Jesus by faith can get that same resurrection life guaranteed to you. You will come back from dead with a new resurrection body that death can no longer touch, sickness can no longer touch, sin can no longer touch. That's on promise for us, guaranteed by Christ. That's what we remember as we do this in remembrance of him. So I'm gonna invite us to obey him, to call him Lord, and to say, hey, I'm remembering you today. And as we do that, I wanna invite us to be praying for ourselves as a church, for those in your grow group, those in your family, for, for, for persecuted Christians like Sejun all around the world, for, for any, anybody that the Lord would bring to mind, near, far, anywhere. Christ, he, he gave his body to make us all one body. So, so we're, we're practicing that unity of the entire body of Christ as we take this communion meal. We're remembering that we all share in one communion with God himself. So I'll leave these up here all throughout this time. Um, what I'll invite you to do is just, um, as soon as you like, just come on up and grab a bread and a juice, take it back to your seat, and throughout this time, just be in prayer and say, Lord, I, I want to obey you. I want others to be strengthened to obey you, even if they're facing intense persecution. We can pray for the kids in our schools as, as they stand out as weird for, you know, for, the, for their faith in Christ, that they would stand strong. Just, let's, let's be a prayerful people in this time and really remember Christ's body and his blood given for us that give us all his whole church resurrection life so yes so 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 come on down um if there's somebody around you who could use help obviously offer to help right um but come on down grab grab a juice grab a bread and let's just take this time to be in prayer together